Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 45. I'm your host, Dan Holzman, and we have a very good special guest on this podcast. His name is Marvin Ong, but he's better known as Master Ong. But before we get to the interview, let's thank our sponsors, starting with the IJA, the International Jugglers Association. Information about this great group of jugglers can be found at juggle.org. Of course, you can find out information about the festival happening this summer in Cedar Rapids, July 10th through the 16th. Go there, have fun, join me, and feel the glow. Also, let's thank our new sponsor. This is only the second podcast I think this sponsor's been on, but they've become very important to the podcast. They, of course, are Ring Dama. Wear it like a ring, but play it like a toy. Experience this brand new skill toy from Wonder Toys, Juggling Genius, and Holzman Labs. Information can be found at ringdama.com. Okay, drop everything, unless you're juggling. Let's listen to Marvin Ong. Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 45, Marvin Ong. Hello, Marvin. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. And where are we catching you? We're catching you in Los Angeles. Is that right? Yeah, I'm currently in Los Angeles. About to catch a flight out to St. Louis in a couple hours. What are you going to do in St. Louis? Uh, go visit my wife. She's worked for a couple months. So I'm going to go, go out there, see her, and then fly back in a couple days. Now, is she involved in the flow or juggling community, or does she have what you would call a straight job? She was, but now she's uh, working a regular job because she had like an injury so she's kind of like slow down with juggling and stuff for a little bit. Yeah, some people I think they they kind of have someone who's sort of shares their passion and works with them, like a in a show or a juggling act. I don't know if that always works out. Sometimes it's good to have each have their own thing. I think. Yeah, we used to work together in like the juggling stuff for quite a while, and and now she's uh, taking a step back because she has an injury, and uh, yeah, it's, it's still working out pretty well because I feel like she understands a lot of what I've done and. And she, she's very supportive then of juggling and flow, and she ex- understands what you're trying to accomplish? When I met her, it was like eight, nine years ago, we were like entering the community together. So like a lot of people that I know, she knows too, and she knows the bigger picture of the whole thing, because she's been in it for years as well. So that's why I think it's easier a little bit. Now, do you think the flow community is tighter than the juggling community? It seems like maybe, uh, I want to say they're more supportive. But it seems like there's a tighter connection, a tighter community. Do you see that? I was just discussing this like last weekend. I believe for sure it has a tighter connection. I think it has to do with the whole culture, like the the whole thing in general. Do you think maybe because it's there's not as much of a professional or commercial aspect to it, so people aren't looking at it in that way? But it's changing though, I, I think, because the flow community – when you look at just the oldest flow fire festival, it's like fire drums, which is like 14, 15 years old. And then the oldest juggling festival is like IJA, 70 years old. You just think about a 70-year-old person and also a 15-year-old person, you know. <laughs> well, that's a good way to see it. I mean, one has sort of more youthful vibrancy. Exactly. And one seems to be chugging along. Exactly. And it has the tradition and the history. Exactly, a deep history and a deep, deep culture. While the the other younger one is a, it's it's a younger crowd, you know, and and uh, and it, it has to do with a lot of things too, with just flow in general. Like flow traditionally is uh, two objects and below and mm. no throws, but that has been changing over the years. So 
they've been exploring into like three objects and throws and that's why I think it's kind of the line is kind of like blurring but then if you go back to two objects and one object it's a little bit easier the, uh, the uh, learning curve is uh, less steep mm-hmm. but then you have more of the socializing aspect I think it, it breeds the socializing aspect because you can really juggle five clubs and talk to somebody like for half an hour you know it's kind of hard we have, we have club passing which I guess is sort of our social aspect of of juggling is definitely a little bit more social. I never thought of there being an actual definition of flow being two objects or less. Was that sort of something that that's had, just had uh, that's just my my kind of like way of looking at it. But that's just the traditional way. Like the last ten years or so, in the last five years, is shifting. It's like becoming more three objects because people have been spinning poi for two with two for years. And only in the last couple of years, they started doing three with spin and throws and stuff. Same with staffs. Staff, they've been doing single and double for like years. And now they're doing starting to uh, playing with like triple staffs. So these are kind of like, and hoops as well. Hoops, they've been doing single and double hoops for years. And now you see more and more people doing triple hoops. So what do you think it carries over from flow into juggling? Or does it become then... Like juggling flow. So flow into juggling would be, here's how I kind of like look at it. It's like, a, so I've kind of like traveled a lot and tried to like learn as much as possible. But this is just my own personal opinion. I mean, I'm sure some people will sure, disagree. Sure. So flow traditionally is two props and one, but then it's going to three. And then especially when people start exploring contact poi, because poi traditionally is just spinning, no throws. And all of a sudden, you have this weighted end, and people start releasing the poi, even just one or two poi. And then once you start releasing, you start one, start exploring the rolls. So you start rolling and throwing and spinning, and that goes into like technique, more deeper technique. And I think it's like approaching into the, the juggling realm. So I look at contact poi as the juggling's cousin. It's like the bridge that kind of like brings it into like maybe we can throw two or three. And people start throwing and it goes into like a the deeper side. And I think traditionally juggling is mainly just throws, but then obviously it branches out to many other things. And then traditionally flow is more spinning and contact without throws. And so it's kind of like the blind kind of like blurs. But the interesting thing is when I traveled to Europe, I've noticed the French jugglers were kind of like working on the swing and the contact and the throws for like a long time already, like a decade or two, maybe even longer. I don't know. Are you talking about with poi or with clubs? With poi? With clubs. With clubs. Yeah, with clubs. When people think about flow juggling, the combination of the hybridization is not disregarding the aspect of the swing because the swing has the aesthetic of the planes and timing. So to create a visual like poi, but then you also maintain the aspect of technique of throws and contact. So it's kind of like people think flow juggling, but it's it's not really flow juggling. It's kind of, I don't know, it's just juggling, just a new juggling. Now, I saw a cartoon recently. It had kind of a giant flow monster, and it was sort of swallowing up juggling. <laughs> do you think they can exist side by side? Do you think they're going to morph into like one activity? What do you think the future of the sort of juggling flow connection is going to bring us? Oh, to be morphed into like one, but obviously it's branching out in all directions. It's like some people from the flow world, they don't feel like throwing. There's this discussion of like, I don't feel like throwing. I don't like watching throwing. And it's the right. same with like the throw, the throwing too. If like 
the jugglers don't really enjoy just watching spinning. And I, I feel like I'm in the middle. I can't really watch spinning for a long time or throwing for a long time. But when both of them is combined in a, like a nice balance, that's what I like. But I'm sure everybody likes different things. So it's like it's going in all directions right now. And the flow community, from what I see, is definitely booming and growing at like a rapid speed. How many people do they get the advantage? Like you're having an event coming up April uh, 26th through the 31st called Manipulation. How many participants do you think you'll get out there? Uh, we usually, the last time we got about like about like 400 people the last round, like uh, from all. Wow. And, but the thing is, the flow events up to 2012, there was only like maybe, I don't know, like a dozen in the country or something, like maybe less, maybe 10 of them. I don't know. And after 2012, the bubble kind of has popped. There's like 20, 30 flow events, maybe 40. I don't know. Like it's everywhere, almost every state. There's like multiple like flow events and the numbers have been, it's, it's been good. It's just like the numbers haven't grown in those flow events, but the flow events has burst out in like every direction. Do you think because there's more like sort of music and lifestyle, camping, it's just more of a vibe? Yes, I agree. I've, yeah, totally. Camping, camping is uh, essential. Like if you if you have gone to like EJC or any like camping events, it mm -hmm. allows that communal feeling of like living together as like a tribe or a village where people get to like socialize more even when they're not practicing. So they like spend time together with each other, which is essential. Where like regular, I feel like traditional juggling events don't really have that in America. So like people, they have to leave and come back. And when you leave and come back, you, you lose hours of uh, uh, building like community together. Yeah, this year at the IJ, I'm encouraging people to camp at the hotel. Like they're allowing us to have four in a room. So my idea is bring your, bring your sleeping bags because normally, like you're saying, there's, there's sort of a disconnect between where you stay and where you juggle. Yeah. And people are sort of separated in different little communities. Yeah. This year, it's all in one place at the IJA. So we have that opportunity to sort of create that community but I've been to a few EJCs. I know what you're saying. When you're all there at night around the campfire and you're kind of roughing it to some degree. Yeah. It has more of a community feeling. Totally. And then with the flow events, yes, yeah, definitely with the music. and. Now, do you have live music at your events? Do you bring in bands and stuff? Uh, I bring in community uh, like artists where like uh, some people play like the hang drum and 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 some like some musicians, but not too crazy. And and then like uh, some of the spinners or jugglers, they they are, they are DJs as well. So I, I set up like a, a allocated gotcha. time for them to play. I see. Let's talk a little bit about your event because I'm actually participating as well as one of the instructors. And you also have a very good juggler I saw on the list, Kyle Driggs. Yes, I'm very excited for Kyle Drake's to come. Yeah, yeah. Kyle is one of my favorite new jugglers because I feel that uh, he combines the technique and the artistry and the professionalism in a way very few uh, younger modern jugglers do. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm very excited to meet him and very excited to watch him do his thing. And I also have a couple, uh, couple other jugglers from Europe coming. Uh, we have uh, this guy Jonas Bavois from uh, Les Objets Volant. What's his? Uh, yeah, I've heard of them. Is he a club juggler? He's a club juggler, very beautiful club juggler. Uh, seven, I think seven, eight club multiplexes, sure. and like uh, with all the swings and all the anti spins and all the new kind of style. 
What do you mean by anti-spin? I've heard that expression. I think I know what it means, but can you describe that to our audience? What, what's an anti-spin? So the best way to kind of like describe an anti-spin is that if you have a clock moving in uh, clockwise and then the middle of the clock moves uh, counterclockwise. Oh, like I see some of the illusions in the, with the hoop that way where they're spinning the hoop, but, they, but the arm is moving the other direction. So that's like the main premise for spinning, mm. which is the anti-spin, because the anti-spin creates a visual that is not just a random circle, which is like more like a, almost like a line, but more like a, like a flower, kind of like a sharp flower. And once you have that particular pattern, I, I'm, really like, I'm like really into that pattern because I think because when you spin, when you do the anti-spin, you're kind of, thinking ahead, like juggling, you're kind of thinking ahead and catching it before it goes into that thing. Sure, sure. When you're doing the anti-spin, you're, thought, you're thinking out the pattern before it happens. So it's drawn out in a thoughtful way. The presentation to the audience is like, you're thinking about this thing, I'm drawing this thing, you're looking at this thing, not just, I'm just randomly winging it around. I've seen a lot of sort of flow performances that did seem improvised. Do you feel like more people are now choreographing it in sort of a more tight way to the music or is that improvisational sort of style still the most prevalent i think the the culture is growing like uh, for example we were talking a little bit about like how the uh, flow community is more tighter for example I, i've been to two ejc's and i'm looking i've been like observing the numbers the first one i went was in 2013 and there was like 12 or 13 of us that went together right, right. and then last year uh, if i'm not mistaken there's like 30 something flow community people that went and the numbers growing and then once you get to EJC I've noticed the American jugglers are kind of like by themselves like one or two or three people but then the the flow community people they're like more connected together and then they're also connected to the flow side of uh, the, the people in Europe but then it's kind of like it's different because they don't use the word flow there but then they're jugglers but they they're like this new contemporary kind of jugglers that are connected to the American side. So I think the culture is like bleeding in together. Even traditionally flow festivals, they don't have shows up until only a recent couple of years ago. And so they've been adding more shows because more people have traveled to Europe, to AJC and seeing the shows and seeing the skill level. And it's interested in that kind of like layout and also the bleeding of juggling and flow kind of like mixing in together. And also people started to like, okay, maybe in the beginning they were improvising, but now they're starting to wanting to choreograph like a specific piece. I see more people wanting to kind of make a, a living and a lifestyle around flow that also includes sort of a commercial element. I think that maybe that's one reason I'm coming out there is to help people sort of put performances together, even add comedy. Do you see comedy having a place in the flow the flow world? Definitely, it could happen. Definitely could be a thing. And I think it just needs a little bit more exposure. And then so people see it, they'll be like, oh man, that's really good as well. So we'll try to do it. For now, there's not a lot of that at all. I don't think at all. Well, you have the comedy juggler. I mean, as sort of a, a very staple stereotype juggler, but you don't really hear about the comedy flow performer. I can't think of a single, but there might be a place for that. I think also like the flow side of things is because uh, the community is younger. So they, I feel like they like the more hip kind of thing, you know, uh, like yeah. the new style. So I think if the, the comedy could be presented in the way where people think like, oh man, that's kind of fresh. Yeah. If you look at comedy juggling kind of the stereotypical, it does seem a little bit sort of stale uh -huh. as an approach to flow. The idea of like, hey, everybody. 
kind of the hype act or the the street juggler. Yeah. The artistry, it doesn't seem like it would be the same connection between the comical elements and sort of the flow vibe. I haven't seen it, but I think it's doable. Well, certainly having a living as a flow artist is doable, but I think then the jobs you're probably be getting would be more, I don't want to say ambiance, but it seems more of a, a walk around or a visual kind of thing that happens. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree as well. Who are the top uh, flow performers? Is there anybody out sort of doing a poi routine in a professional environment that's looked at as sort of the what you could get to as a poi artist? I mean, making a living and performing in, in sort of top top variety of venues and stuff? I think uh, Flame Oz. Mm. Yeah, I worked with them in New Zealand, but I don't see them as... Uh, but I guess they do it because they, they also incorporate a lot more comedy and acrobatics. Uh-huh. They're kind of a big four-person fire show, Flame Oz. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A big four-person fire show. Well, who are, who are sort of at the forefront of the community? Like, what names should I be looking for if I want to go on YouTube and see some really good flow artists? Who would I be looking at? Are you talking about Poi in general? Well, let's, let's start with Poi. Like, I think I've heard the name Chris Kelly. Is that someone? Chris Kelly is definitely pushing the boundaries for sure. He's uh, doing, like, some really cool stuff with uh, Three Poi. It's, like, more, like, deeper side of, like, juggling. Chris Kelly, uh, I really like Tim Goddard from Australia. The guy's a really beautiful uh, spinner and also move mover. Jonathan Alvarez, for sure. Sure, yeah, sure, Jonathan. He's actually a Bay Area guy. And also uh, the star of the Kuma Films Ring Dama video. Yes. So we have some carryover there. Now, when you do the, the juggling with the poi, it's a very different style, isn't it? There's sort of more of a, what do you call it, a lag? Because yeah. Because it's, it's not a stiff yeah. object? Yeah. It's very hard, though. I think it's, like, harder than clubs, in my opinion, to do, like, this same tricks it takes like longer time like to, to to get it and it's a it has a different feeling too so it, de- it depends you know when i was doing it like five years ago i saw ronan the guy that start the first guy that started playing contact poi or probably some people might be he was the first one that made a pair and uh, he was juggling poi and i've never seen it and i was so into it and i i learned it five years ago but then i've kind of like moved away from three poi to go into three clubs because Three clubs is easier than three poi in some sense. So I can like uh, express more and be more versatile with it. So I've been working with clubs ever since. Do you do all the flow props? Or are you mostly uh, focusing primarily on just on clubs now? My whole journey has been like 10 years. will be 10 years this summer. And five of those years have been only clubs. And I, I, I do other stuff like here and there, like contact staff. I work on three staffs. Uh, I do some contact juggling. Let's go back to your, your backstory. You were born in Malaysia. Is that where you're originally from? I was born in Malaysia before I came here up until I was 21 years old. Oh, so you're in Malaysia until 21. What was your family involved in? My mom worked as a hotel manager for Hilton for many years, and she moved to America 17, 18 years ago. And my dad is a construction worker, but he still lives in Malaysia. And those were my parents. And then I have my brother, who I live with here now, too who's been living in the country for coming up to maybe 10 years, nine years. And you guys run the business together. You run Master Ong's prop shop as a... Business together. He's the other half of Master Ong's prop shop. Now, when you were growing up, were you involved in sports or any kind of activities that led you into... involved in sports. I think that's one of the uh, main things that makes me how I am. I, I used to play basketball at the age of 10 till 25, 15 years, 
seven days a week, like hours on end. And uh, I played for my state. I almost played for my country when I was like 17. Yeah, that was the only thing I did with my life. Like people would ask me, so what, what, do you, what else do you do? I was like, nothing. This <laughs> is the only thing. So it's the same thing now. People ask me, so what else do you do besides juggling? Nothing. I, I just juggle. <laughs> so, so when you were playing basketball, it was sort of the focus of your life. Yeah, and I bring a lot of that uh, kind of like athlete mentality into juggling a little bit because when I'm play- for me personally, when I'm playing basketball, I'm there to win. I'm not there to have fun or to goof around. Like I'm, I'm there to win games. <laughs> do you think you bring that competitive nature? I do, but with myself. So when I'm juggling, like people was like, "Oh, I can't stand here and do this trick, and I, I need to have fun." I was like. I only have fun when I win, so I only have fun when I see myself progress. But you're not competitive with other jugglers. You're not comparing yourself. I don't care what other people do. I'm just like working on my stuff. I'm just com- yeah, competitive for myself. Like you're in a battle with yourself to sort of achieve that that's perfection state you want to get to. Yeah. When did you first experience it? What did you see that kind of made you want to to follow this path? I was at a, like a music party and then a friend of mine, he was like swinging like glow sticks around and he was like, I could try this. And I was like, sure. I've seen it for years and I didn't really care for it. And it feels like... Why did you care for it? What, were you, what was your thoughts about it? That you thought it was he had, silly or... or... No, I, I literally had no thoughts about it. It was just like kind of like a flower in the garden. You just walk by it. Right, right. You see it, but you don't really pay much attention. Zero attention. I have <laughs> no thoughts about it at all. But then uh, he handed the glow sticks to you? And the glow sticks to me in my hand. And I tried to do it and I couldn't do it. And uh, I thought, how am I not doing this thing that looks so easy? And I kind of like, got upset. And <laughs> So it kind of engaged your competitive nature again. Yeah. And I was like, it looks so easy. I could totally do this. How am I not doing this? And then so after that, I went home and I looked up uh, some YouTube tutorials. And after that, I was off. Yeah, the rest was history. Okay. Could just stop and wh- after that. <laughs> and where do you think music comes in? I mean, do you think that there's a certain? Because I think when I you juggle, like music is important, but like at the juggling conventions, we had a big argument coming into 2017. Well, not argument, but discussion. Like, should there be music in the gym at all? And it seems like in flow, if there was no music, people would be like, "What's going on?" Yeah, yeah. I think it could be both. I think like at my event, there'll be music but only during the nighttime in the gym and not too crazy loud. It's sure. like loud, but not too crazy loud. And uh, I've noticed with the flow, like spinning and that, like for me, even the same, if I'm, if I'm practicing like poi or like more like those movement kind of like stuff, mm-hmm. it, it, there's no music. It's really hard for me to like practice. But with juggling, I do practice with music, but I notice I can juggle without music. It's weird. Well, I know for me, it's different. Like I like to put a headset in. I like to have the music right in my ears. And it really does change the experience, but it has to be something that not more dance-like, but has more sort of body movement than juggling for me. Totally, I agree. So that's why I think like for the flow side of things, people want music because they want to move. While juggling, you can kind of like juggle without music. But I went to like the Brazilian convention uh, two, three years ago, and they had like the similar thing. Like during the day, there was no music. And during the nighttime, they would turn on the music in the gym, like pretty loud. (laughs) And it was pretty cool. (laughs) Now, do you went to Humboldt this year? Now, the Humboldt, they had a live band. Were you there that night when they had the live band in the gym at Humboldt? No, I I don't think so. Because I couldn't take it, to be honest. I walked in. 
it just seemed like, yeah, maybe, or maybe it was late at night or I came back. Uh, I think it was, it could have been even Friday night. Maybe you weren't even there that night. But they had a live band. I'm thinking, that's a pretty strong choice. Because it's like, if you don't like the music, it was pretty much all-encompassing. There was no way to escape it. So I basically said, well, I don't like the music, therefore I'm going to leave. Yeah. So I guess it's, it's that kind of line of, you don't want to have it so strong that people are saying, well, the music is forcing me away. I agree. Totally. What do you think is the best kind of music? I mean, do you like... What's your personal taste in music? I listen to electronic music because I think maybe I'm like part of the millennial generation. And uh, I've listened to electronic music since I was like 16, like almost 20 years ago, almost. Who are some good artists for juggling electronic music? I probably don't know any of the names. Can you give us a couple names of some good artists to check out? Good artists to check out. Let me think here. Or is it just more of like a genre? You can look up. Uh, recently, I've been listening to this guy, Athalea. A-F-F-E-L-A-Y-E. You can check him out. And then there's um, maybe a Manila killer. (laughs) Okay. Because I'm sort of stuck in that same genre I grew up in, which was sort of progressive rock. Like I grew up in the 70s. So I still go to Old Genesis and King Crimson and and Yes. So I guess we kind of got what we grow up with becomes, becomes our music, I suppose. I agree. And it's interesting too because you talk about the flow versus the juggling culture too because the flow culture is young so the whole the whole culture kind of listens to pretty similar music and then so when you talk about the juggling culture is older so you have the variation of different generations so it's like kind of like i guess it would be a, a challenge to accommodate each different generation with different genres of music in the gym per se yeah i think in, in the ij kind of the peak time was in the 80s like i think that's when our conventions got over a thousand i think our best was like like 1200 and now a lot of those same people are still are still involved. Yeah. So we do have a, a group of people now in their 40s and 50s who have been involved with the IJ for 20, 30 years. Like if I go to this a flow festival, like I'm going to yours uh, in, first of all, because it's in Idlewild, your, yeah. your festival coming up. And I think Idlewild is one of my, my favorite places in the world. And has a very strong connection to me because I went there to drama school when I was 13 and 14. So I haven't been there in 40 years. So I'm really looking forward to getting back. But when I get there, will there be kind of an older contingency as well? I mean, will there be people in their 40s and 50s or will I be kind of an exception? The crowd seems to be younger. The crowd at my event seems to be around maybe like early 20s till early 40s. It's kind of like the Mm -hmm. the average group, but there's people, there will be people in the 50s, 60s, but not, not majority. Because they, they do call me Flow G, because <laughs> I go way back, because I'm, so I'm a Flow G. Hey, so when did it kind of go from, you had this glow stick experience, uh-huh. where did you go from Marvin Ong to what maybe people know you better as, Master Ong? How does someone become a master? <laughs> that, that was a good one. At that point, I was like spinning toy for a couple of years, and there was a, a new festival that popped out in Southern California for the first time, the first Flow event in Southern California called Ignite, and uh, it's happening after my festival this in three weeks and so i was uh he brought me on to help organize and do all the workshops i coordinated all the workshops brought all the instructors and then i was like you know i should kind of like help promote this event at that point there was no business there was just me as toy spinner and then my wife was like oh yeah you should uh dress up in like the fu manchu kill bill guy and then speak chinese and uh, (laughs) okay we'll do like a promotion for it it'll be funny and I was like, oh, not really, because I'm kind of like a more like a 
serious, non-silly guy. But uh, she was insisting, and so we did it. And after we did it, I was like, man, this is kind of fun a little bit. You know, like, I guess, like, how people are, like, they're, like, they do, like, clown acts, whatever. When, once you put on the costume, you're, like, a completely different person. Yeah, you slip, in, you slip into a character. Yeah, that was my first time, I think, like, I felt like, well, I'm, like, a different character. And then so I was like, man, this character should have, some, have a name. We'll call him uh, Master Ong. Ha, ha, ha. It's, like, kind of like an inside joke. Sure. And it's all my friends that see me in different festivals. They'd be like, ah, my song, my song, ha ha. So it was like kind of like a funny joke. But then six months later, my brother uh, proposed this idea to me. He's like, yeah, we should try to like start this online shop, you know, like since you've been doing it for a couple of years to do this thing together. And I was like, sure, let, let's try it out. And then we would have to find a name for the business. And then I was like, you know, we'll just call it the Masterong's Pop Shop because that's our family name that began. began. And I kind of like sort of took on the name Masterong. But the funny thing is I think my close friends, the people that know me personally, they would call me uh, Marvin. Mm -hmm. And people that don't know me, they will call me Masterong. Well, it's strange too because I don't know in Malaysia, but here in America, Marvin is kind of a not, – not the exact opposite of Masterong. But like, or Master Ong is cool and mysterious. Yeah. When people hear the name Marvin, it's they usually think of like an accountant or something. Totally. So when I heard when I heard your real name was Marvin, I'm like, I'm gonna call you Master Ong, you know. And your brother's name is Elvin, which is sort of another sort of a, a name we don't hear in America very often. Yeah, his name was uh, named after Elvin and the Chipmunk because I used to like watching that when I was like a, a kid. But that should be Alvin. Yeah, I, I know, but my mom purposely changed it, I guess, to make it different. <laughs> she actually named him after Elvin and the Chipmunks? Yeah, but with an E. All right. Okay, when I see him next time, I'm going to uh, bring up that fact, I think. <laughs> I'm not sure he even knows it, but, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. You have a very interesting philosophy about your approach to, to juggling and flow. You say that, I was looking at your website, you say that Master Ong is a representation of our inner self. Yeah, so when I think about Master Ong... I don't think about Master Ong as me. I think about Master Ong as this like, this thing inside of us, this voice. I mean, you can call it any name you want, but it's like kind of like that voice is like, there's always those two voices. One is like, yeah, I don't need to do anything today. I'll just chill. You know? <laughs> right, right. And the other voice is like, no, you're not good enough. You should practice. Like, So the one that pushes me to practice, I think, is, is kind of like the Master Ong within Within that voice, you know, that's how it makes it me think of that book. If you read that book, the uh, the War of Art or the War on Art, I think it's by Stephen Pressman. No, I haven't read that book. He talks about what is your real path, what is your real purpose. Your real purpose is to do your art, is to pursue your art towards its expression, towards its perfection. And the things like that voice that prevents us from doing our art, the voice that says, "Oh, just chill," or "You're good enough," or uh, "Practice is too hard." is the voice that prevents us, that sort of stops us from achieving our art. So maybe like Master Ong, your idea of this sort of Master Ong, is this sort of expression of your true potential through practice, you think? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty close. Because uh -huh. when they say you have to eat the bitter to taste the sweet, yeah, that's the Chinese expression, that without practice, there can be no, no art. But the practice itself... A lot of people don't have that ability, that discipline to achieve that. Do you think there's a, you think it's just passion that drives the discipline? Or do you think the, dis the discipline can kind of come on its own? Ever since I've started spinning poi or started juggling, I've been kind of like, or maybe I've got older. I've been, I've been, I've been interested in that, in that reason. 
why and how and how do people get there, you know, and, sure, and sure. reading books and whatnot. And I, I think I've come to this conclusion where people, when people talk about talent in the beginning, I was like, ah, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in talent. It's all hard work. When I kind of like think about back to the base thing before you even do something is a person have to look at something and they go like, that kind of seems cool. And then he has to think about it as like, wow, that kind of seems cool. And then he'll like ask the next person next to him, hey, do you think this is cool? And the next person looks at it and go like, nah, it's okay. Right, right. And then he has to look at that one thing and then he has to spark that interest within himself, regardless of what anybody is thinking, and then want it bad enough to start, start paying the price and trying to like achieve it. And that one thing is interesting because everybody looks at everything diff so differently. Nobody really looks at the same thing and go like, oh, this this amazing. But if they do, they become sort of like, that's how like jugglers become jugglers because they're all like kind of like, like juggling and everybody else just walk by and like, hmm. yeah, so what? They juggle three, five, like, you know? You know? So I think it's like the base premise of like a person that is wired a specific way and they look at something and they're interested in it enough to put themselves through a certain degree of, uh, I don't know, or, or something to achieve it. And that, that becomes the discipline and passion because they can't stop thinking about it. It becomes kind of like an obsession. I think everybody has that in, in, a, in a certain way with different things. So I guess it just depends on how you, how, what you like and how you come across it, I think. I guess you'd have an affinity for it. Like you see something and it touches you in some way. Like you say, like people can look at juggling yeah, I remember the first time I saw juggling, or I came across a book called uh, the Juggling Book by Carlo. And until then, like juggling hadn't made much of an impression on me, really. But as soon as I felt it myself, as soon as I actually did it myself, there was something about it that really that I gravitated to. And you see it where other people either can see it or try it. It's the same activity, but they're like, eh, they couldn't care less. I agree. And I think for me, it's like uh, my own personal journey has been because I I saw Poi and I saw Contact Poi and I was into Contact Poi. So I learned Contact Poi. And then I saw three clubs, three club manipulation for the first time. Actually, I saw fishtails first. I saw two club fishtails. And I told myself I have to buy two clubs and just to learn the fishtails. And now the fishtail is where you manipulate on the back of your hand. On the back of the hand. But then last week... At Santa Cruz, I've learned, I've been doing the club fishtails for seven years now, and I've just learned there's a new kind of fishtail, which is kind of like back on the hand, but on the front of the hand. It's almost like a butterfly with contact juggling, but with a club. It's, you know, like, you know, you know, when you do a butterfly with a ball, kind yeah, of like yeah. the same thing, but you do it with a club, but instead you're moving it from plane to plane. So you're doing it on the front of on the palm of your hand and then the back of your hand. Yeah, both sides. And it's, the club is moving in a forward rotation like kind of almost like weaving still. So the fishtail actually is just doing a figure eight in both in either direction. Right, it, stay, it stays on the back of your hand, the fishtail. Traditionally, but yeah. But I've just learned you can do it on the oh, That must look nice. I could see that. Yeah, I've just learned last weekend. But anyways, I, I bought two clubs and I was only wanting to learn the fishtails. And people would walk around and ask me, where's my third club? And I was like, I don't have a third club. I don't really care about juggling. I just want to do the fishtails. And then this guy came, Keith. Keith, Keith Marshall from uh, Scotland. They brought him to America three times. He was like kind of like one of the big pioneers of... Uh, I don't know that name, yeah. Poi manipulation in 2010 to 2012. So he came and then he stayed with me a little bit. And then he was the first person that did two poi fishtails on their hand, like one on each hand, double fishtails. At that point in 2011, nobody was doing it yet. 
And then he stayed with me and he brought up three clubs and then he started juggling. But it's, I was watching him and I, I, I had to ask him, I was like, this is not juggling. What is this that you're doing? And it's this new kind of juggling. It's like this abstract European manipulation, like a lot of like contact, tap backs, anti-spin, like club manipulation, club on club manipulation. And I was just like so blown away by the look of it that I was so into it. And then he told me there's a bunch of people in Europe that does this kind of like particular style. And then there he said, there's this one guy, Sam. <laughs> okay. Sam, do you know his last name? Sam? Sam Yude. He was the guy that did the crazy thing at the EJC 2014 gala show. They had like take him out because um, he didn't really juggle. And, uh, <laughs> they had to take him out, you're saying? They had to... They took him out of the show because he was uh, making some jokes that the, uh, I guess the audience didn't like. Oh, did they, they didn't know he was going to do that? He kind of went off script, so to speak? They didn't know what he was going to do. And then he did his first show and then they took him off the show. Uh, they mm. asked him to change his act and he didn't want to change his act. So they <laughs> took him off the show. But this guy is like, uh, I guess, in terms of club manipulation, is like his name is up there. But right. then he like, club manipulation is interesting. Club manipulation, I think, is between like, if you think about magic and juggling, so juggling, it's like you look at somebody, can I juggle that? It's like, yeah, sure, you learn three balls, and then you learn five balls, and then you do it. Magic, you don't really tell people how you do it, because if I tell you how I do it, you lose the magic, unless you're a magician. Club manipulation is right in between there. It's in between magic and juggling. Because you're trying to hide how you're doing this, the tricks? I don't, I don't quite get that. Because a lot of it is an optical illusion of a visual that is created in a short period of time. But then it's a lot of it is like little like manipulation with the fingers or the hand that creates the shape for that slight moment. But then it's not really magic, but it's not really juggling. It's kind of like in between. That's how I kind of like look at it. Interesting. And what is, what, what is your practice like? Like how many, do you have like a, a daily regime that you go through, like a number of hours? Or what's a, what's a practice day look like for you? I've been able to practice like anywhere from three to seven hours seven days a week sure and uh it's gone down a little bit this year i've kind of like uh taken a step back and working on other stuff i want to like work on my health and my strength and other other things now would that be like broken into, se into several sessions usually it'd be broken down into like three sessions if i have like a full productive day it would be like three hours in the morning, maybe like two, three hours in the afternoon, and then two, three hours in the evening or so. Now, are you striving towards like a performance level or are you just sort of like a personal achievement? Like what is the goal of all that practice? I think it's both. It's a little bit of both, but I don't really care. Like the performance, I think, feels come secondary to me. Like first is like the primary is uh, my, my myself being able to like hone these movement and create this like awareness and learning the lessons within the movement itself for me so it, I mean, it ties into like a little bit of like meditation but not really it's it's partial you know it like touches on each and everything around it and then the secondary is to be able to express my true self at the highest like level you know like with through my movement being able to tell a story that is like so potent that is who I am and what I've seen and what I've walked through to be here. And how do you compare that experience of, let's say someone is flowing and jamming to music in sort of a very free atmosphere, then, then trying to get that up on stage that with all that other elements of emotion and stress and pressure, 
how do you feel those compare to each other? And how do you see that? Do you think some people don't want to go into the performance direction because of that other element of stress and pressure? Since you're a competitive guy, that you see that as a sort of a battle with yourself to to perform? That's a tough question. You're saying like some people may not want to perform because they have to go through the stress? Well, it seems like that there's an element of people who don't want to perform. Yes. Like they want to learn what they can learn about themselves and the art form purely through the practice. Yes. But to me, putting yourself in that situation of being up on stage where you can make mistakes and it does matter more, I think also teaches you something different. Yes, I agree. That's when I get on when I get on stage. It reminds me a lot of uh, when I was playing basketball, and you you have that one moment, that one shot, and you're like trying to make it. And usually in the green room before the show, I also feel like I'm in the locker room with like the other players. When I used to play ball, it reminds me a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. and I really enjoy that camaraderie and um, that 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 tension building up to it. I, I I like it. And what do you feel about like drops on stage? Like, do you feel like the goal is to have a perfect performance or is the goal to <laughs> express yourself? That's a good one. I think it depends on who you want to perform to and uh, what you're trying to do, I think. If you're trying to, like you said, be a professional, like a person that makes money and perform to the world, I think you might want to try to make a dropless dropless act, right? Like clean sure. every time. And that's professional. That The audience watch it. The audience is not really jugglers, so they, they watch it and they think, wow, this guy, perfect act, no drops. But then if you're like more like a practitioner or a specialist or technician, I think which I kind of feel more leaning towards. It's really rare that I have a dropless act. Almost never, I, I think. Because I, I feel like I'm always pushing the pedal to my boundaries at the, the, at the most. But it's in between the balance. It's like I can do all the hardest tricks and drop all the time. Or do the cleanest tricks and do no drops. So it's, I guess it depends on where you kind of want to put yourself at. I'm kind of like at more of a at a seven. Like if a ten is a complete drop and one is dropless, I'm more like at a seven. Well, like you say, you have a a certain probably a level you could achieve droplessly. Like when I see you perform, I go, okay, if he were to tone this down twenty percent and take out those particular moves, yeah. And I'll probably don't drop at all. But at, but at the same time, I feel like if I do that, I think I'm not being honest with myself because I'm these these are the things that excite me the most, and these are the things that I'm trying to say on stage. And even if I have to take that risk and drop, I'll do that. I think because I'm not a professional performer. Right. I guess that's the difference. Is that it's more of like I say a competition with yourself as opposed to trying to create the most sellable, marketable act. Exactly. And then so for me, I guess at this point in my life, I, like I'm not a professional performer and, and I'm not in that position to, and most of the places I perform are not uh, that setting. And if, I, if I'm like hired at a gig to do like a professional thing, I would definitely tone it down for sure. I would, because I'm like trying to meet, meet the client for his needs. But if I'm performing at a juggling festival, I think I'm going to go all out. <laughs> it, <laughs> it also seems to me that as, like you say, as these festivals add more shows, yeah, and they want to bring in someone who they call like a headliner, yeah. someone to be able to close the performance, yeah, that the flow artists who do put together the more professional acts, whether they want to do it professionally or not, will be the ones that are invited to more of the festivals. Mm. No, you don't. They, they also have to have the workshop experience and the other aspects as well. Yeah, of course. Like for example, if you say. Like if you just put a name of like Kyle Driggs, 
Like right. he's like well-rounded, high technical, super refreshing professional. And uh, I mean, I'm inviting him to my thing. <laughs> well, I, I, you have good taste. Cause like I said, I think he's uh, the acts I've seen him do. Yeah. And certainly he works at a, a high level, I think with Cirque du Soleil. So, <laughs> you know, it's been borne out that he's a top act. Yeah. Contemporary and yeah. But there's your show is outdoors, right? Your show is an outdoor show. Indoors. Oh, it's indoors. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I pictured most flow performance like shows like outdoors. Like, is that yeah. how they do it at fire drums? Right? It's an outdoor performance. Yes, yeah, because most flow or fire festivals they usually have a lot lots of fire and right. uh, louder music. So once you have those two things, it's kind of hard to get like a location with a facility. At least in this country, that's what I've seen. They would have to sacrifice the facility to be outdoors. So if you're outdoors, then you won't really have a stage or showers or I don't know, like, you know, you lose the facility. Because Kyle's a ring juggler. That's why I was thinking that his act outdoors would be, would, and he does an umbrella. Yeah. So outdoors would be pretty much impossible. I like the facilities. Maybe I'm growing older, but <laughs> I like well, the Well, also you're more into juggling. I think as you add more juggling. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I am more into a, in juggling. But th that's the funny part because I feel like a lot of the juggler would think I'm like a flow person and all the flow person would call me a juggling, a juggler. Same with my event. Like all the jugglers would come and they would call it a flow event. And all the flow people would come and they would call it a juggling event. But I guess that's what I wanted to be, right? <laughs> well, you're that new person. You're that hybrid. You're that... Uh... Yeah. Like that, like that MMA fighter, you know, who's now a mixed martial artist. Yeah. You're sort of a mixed flow juggler hybrid. Yeah, definitely. That's why you're the master. <laughs> now, you do work professionally, though, because I remember seeing a lot of stuff on Facebook about a show you did. I think it was last year in your, in, in back in Malaysia that you were very proud of. It seemed like a very big production. Yeah, that was one of the best productions I've uh, been been on. It's done by my, uh, my buddy. Uh, his name's Ifeek. He's been running the uh, circus scene in uh, Malaysia for the last five, six years. And uh, he, he does, he's like a professional performer. He does a lot of the big gigs uh, in Malaysia, all the almost all the gigs. And uh, he brought me back there and he did like a full like a production, like a, it's an hour show with 50 people, with aerialists and all, all the things and drones. And so we did that and we did a couple gigs too while we were in Malaysia. And that was like a... Yeah, more like a professional kind of like a show. And is there a, is there a flow? Fa are you moving around? What are you doing, Marvin? Are you are you cleaning your house at the same time? What's going on there? <laughs> There's a lot of background noise. Are you? Oh, I, I'm I'm uh, I went downstairs. Okay, we're we're almost done. Hey, so uh, is there a flow festival scene in Malaysia? Do you put on a flow festival in Malaysia? I the guy I think he's been doing a a festival the last couple of years. But then uh, last year, instead of a festival, he put on the show. Where do you see flow and juggling going in the future? And what does the future hold for, for Master Ong? Fall into this hybrid kind of like a category because I think the both worlds kind of like need each other, you know. The juggling community needs uh, younger blood and growth. And the flow community needs uh, experience and uh, professionalism and technique. And uh, once both of them is combined this hybrid kind of like place but it's still very niche well let's talk a little bit about your, your event because i'm very curious this is my first time going to sort of a flow event and uh, i'm going up with jeremiah johnson who's another uh, one of your instructors how many instructors do you have total uh, i think i have about like 50 50 maybe not 50 let me see here uh, bu -bu 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 40 40 so 40. you have 40 workshop leaders 40 workshops leaders yeah 
How many people will be in the show? I mean, how many performers are going to be in the show that I'm emceeing? I have multiple shows. I have a welcome show, and then I have an open stage, and then I have the main show. And then the main show, I usually have it around like 11 or 12 acts. And that's the show I'll be emceeing? That's the show you'll be emceeing, the main show. Yep. And this is a four or five day event. Uh-huh. It'll be five days this year. Usually it's four days, but we've uh, pushed it to five days because my dream is like to actually to have a seven-day, thousand-person event. But thousand-person are like, you know, I want everybody to be juggling and spinning stuff, not just a thousand people sitting around. <laughs> sure, like you could combine it with like a sort of a more music thing or more of a lifestyle thing and bring in the, the crowds. Yeah, exactly. But you want a thousand participants. Yeah. Well, is, would you think it would stay in Idlewild? Do you see that being the place where... You kind of have a yearly presence? It could, but it also might move, need to move because the gym in Idlewall, once we have up to like 400, it's pretty packed unless I get like a circus tent and put it outside. But uh, that's still far to go. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens in the upcoming couple of years. And what other events are you going to do this year? You're gonna, are you going to go to Burning Man? Is that something you do? I'm going to Burning Man. I haven't been back, I, I haven't been back to Burning Man in like five years because the last time I was there, it was my transition. I think I went to Burning Man from 2010 to 2012. And then at the last, it was a really pivotal event for my life. I think it really changed a lot of outlook that I've seen because I, I came from Malaysia, you know? Right. Like, and then so like after Burning Man in 2012, I... Well, what do you mean by that? Because you think Malaysia is not as uh, sort of sophisticated? I mean, is it just a different experience? Malaysia, first, it's a Muslim country and second uh i don't know if uh, many people here have been to southeast asia or stuff it's very like a like a lot of a conformity like uh, everybody's hair is the same color everybody takes works the same thing and you know like everybody's in uniform in school gotcha. name tags and you kind of have you got to burning man you're like holy moly yeah and i go to Bur- <laughs> it's crazy town yeah it's like the extreme crazy i think i think the craziest thing you can see i think is at burning man it's like the extreme chaos like at like at, at the maximum <laughs> now, now would i enjoy it i've never been to burning man do you think it's something that i would enjoy I am the flow G, so... You are the flow G. So it depends on your mindset. Like, for example, I went three years, and then the first year was, like, really life-changing. And then the third year, I felt like, maybe I should take a break. I feel like this... Uh, this I've been there, done that. Yeah, and I feel like also at that point, I was like, man, I'm no activist or anything, but I felt like there was too much resources being used at Burning Man while uh, people in the world are dying. So I felt really bad, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a break. I'm not going to come back for a little bit. Probably, I don't know when. And then I started going to EJC. This year, my, my wife was like, let's, let's go back to the burn. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, let's, let's go back to the burn. You know, like, I, I, I think it would be good for me to kind of like go back in. and. But you don't set up a, a shop there. Like, you can't sell anything at Burning Man. Don't set up a shop. I'm like, so that's the thing I was about to say. Because like, will you enjoy Burning Man? So I guess it depends on like your mindset going into it. If you're like... You you try and go and go, try to go to Burning Man and juggle, no, you're you're not gonna enjoy yourself. You're trying to go to Burning Man and maybe like you know do this or do that. You're probably not gonna enjoy yourself. But I think if you're like going in with a kind of like open heart and open mind and kind of just want to see what's going on there and just take it as it is, I think you would enjoy yourself because Burning Man is pretty interesting because it's one of the most diverse events I think in the whole world where. 
you get a lot of like different people like rock stars or millionaires and engineers and scientists and people from Google and you know all kinds of people build all kinds of stuff there so it's really interesting to see what people can come up with in, in something yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about going this year but it's uh wow I'm hoping to that'd be fun I mean uh, I have an opportunity that I'm trying to work into trying to get to Burning Man as well because this year I'm trying to get some new experiences like I'm doing fire drums yep and I'm doing your event manipulation, which once again is April 26th through the 31st. And what, what's the address? Where would they go to? Where would people go to get more information and buy tickets for your event? The best address would be manip2017.com. It's like manip2017.com. And you'll see the videos and there's like a Facebook link. So you can get connected to the Facebook link. And then from there, you have like a, the carpool group and all the other information. And you can also email me. And you can, uh, there's cabins and uh, showers and camping and a 24-hour gym. Uh, there's kitchen to bring your own food to cook. There's a full kitchen staff that will cater breakfast, lunch, dinner if you want to be on a meal plan. Yeah, and there's uh, we're doing early entry this year, Wednesday. So half the festival, I'm expecting about like maybe 200 people to be there Wednesday, jamming and having first dinner. And Thursday will be the official opening, 1 o'clock. Well, I'm going to a couple of festivals this year. I'm also going, of course, I'm the IJ Festival Director. So I'm going to go and kind of sort of see what's good, see what I can kind of glean and add to our festival and uh, maybe get some of the flow artists to come out and join us because we have a big uh, flow community at the festival this year with Kevin Axtell and our flow zone. So I'm going to try to see what I can I can pick up in the, the flow vibe. Yeah, totally. Well, Marvin, it's really nice talking to you. It's been great meeting you these last couple of years. I've really enjoyed watching your your style evolve. Uh, any last uh, words of philosophy you want to leave our listeners with? Any kind of sum up the, the Master Ong vibe? Well, what is Master Ong and what's his place in the world of juggling and flow? <laughs> <laughs> I put you, on the, put you on the spot there a little bit for some, some final <laughs> remarks. So the final remarks, I think, is uh, I think just kind of like uh, follow your heart and then uh, don't get caught up with what other people are doing. If you don't like throws or if you don't like spinning, don't do it. And But if you're like thinking of maybe opening up to it and trying it and kind of like diversify and opening up yourself, uh, definitely do it and seek more information and give it a full commitment, full try. Just like juggling. It's like be an open, give an open heart, open mind, try it your best and then decide later. Like uh, I think that's, that's that'll be key to anything. Patience and consistency. And I agree with this. I agree with this other piece of philosophy. We'll end with this, where you say, love thy practice. Love thy practice, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Marvin. It's been really fun talking to you, and I look forward to seeing you April 26th through the 31st when I join you at Manipulation 2017 in Idlewild. A big thanks to Master All. Thank you, Dan. I hope you enjoyed Drop Everything podcast number 45, my interview with Master Ong. Don't forget... You can find out all about Master Ong's Prop Shop at masterongspropshop.com. And his event, Manipulations 2017, taking place April 26th through the 31st in Idlewild, California. Also, check out the IJ at juggle.org. Find out about this great group of jugglers. Now you can join them and me, Festival Director, this summer in Cedar Rapids. Oh, don't forget to try out the Ring Dama. That's right. You can go to ringdama.com, order one for yourself, one for your friend. If you only have one friend, you'll have more, though, of course, once you try the ringdama. All right, enjoy your new skill toy. Drop everything, except when you're juggling.